1: The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts.
0: Who is your first style icon? Most of us start absorbing messages about fashion and style early, and those messages don't always come from magazines or the red carpet. They come from our families. You're listening to Fashion Unzipped. Thanks for joining us. I'm Emily Cronin. With me in the studio today are Charlie Gowen-Zeglinton. Hi. And Bethan Holt. Hello. Later in today's episode, we'll talk about the style tips we received from our mothers, grandmothers, aunts and other women in our lives. But first, wrapping up a bit of business from last week, RB3 has a name, everyone. We can now refer to the third royal baby as Prince Louis
2: Arthur Charles. What do you make of the name? Well, um, a lot of people have kind of, uh, at face value, they took it as, um, you know, this very wonderful nod to Prince Charles and uh, to Prince Philip because they had this kind of mentor, Louis Mountbatten and everyone was talking about how it was you know such a beautiful tribute to him. Quite confusing in a way as well because Prince George's um, name includes Louis, Prince William's name includes Louis as does I think Prince Charles is quite complicated. but now after extensive discussions in the office and various tweets and things, um, it seems it's actually a very trendy name.
0: Yeah, it's, it's definitely one that you could imagine shouted across a playground, you know, in the same sentence as Hugo, Oliver, Louie.
2: Come and eat your dairy-free hummus carrot stick. Avocado snack. toast points under the yeah. tree. <laughs> Um, yeah, I loved Robert Peston's tweet, which was, um, Louis Arthur Charles, I know about the Mountbatten and Royal Connections, but these are so of the moment London bubble names. Let's be clear, they are basically Remainer names.
1: Ooh, burn, <laughs> burn. <laughs> if last year's were, what, Arlo? The year before was Margot for a little girl. With an X. Oh, chic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Louis a new one although will anyone actually now be able to call their son louis well i'm
0: annoyed because my papa lou was um my great grandfather who lived to like 108 or 9 or 10 no one's really sure and you know that name was was high on my list but now just in the interest of like not being considered a complete shadow royalist i i think it has to be stricken
2: i quite like papa lou though
0: papa lou was (laughs) rad yeah. As I mean, in Papalou? Just the name. Would you just uh, blend, that, blend that into one? Papalou. Papalou, Papalou. Papalou
2: Cronin or whatever you want. I mean, are. I actually might
0: go with Prince Louis <laughs>
2: Cronin. Mm. Yeah. Be cool. Sure.
0: Well, in other news, actual fashion news, <laughs> prolific fashion designer Virgil Abloh has
1: revealed his latest collaboration with IKEA. Virgil, the creative director for Off-White and the newly named menswear artistic director for Louis Vuitton, can't seem to say no to collaborations. He's completed them with Nike, Jimmy Choo, Vans, Montclair, Byredo, a Parisian juice bar, and many other companies. But the IKEA collaboration has to be a
0: first in that it really brings his taste-making aesthetic to a new mass scale. In a live broadcast, he shared three prototypes of products in development. These included a doorstop designed to elevate one leg of a chair, a glass cabinet with red hanging pegs and rugs meant to be used not as rugs, but rather as wall hung tapestries, reading blue and keep off in quotation marks. He said of the rugs, quote, I'm questioning objects by using text to reprogram them and recontextualize them, unquote. I thought that IKEA's fashion moment came and went with the 1,600-pound Balenciaga tote bag that looked just like a blue IKEA shopping bag, but this makes me think that IKEA really wants to like prolong its moment in the hype spotlight. So, will people
1: shop this and 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 all of its doorstop interruptions? Now, doorstop interruptions, Emily. I'd just like to point out, Virgil said it's it metaphorically means something. It's metaphor- doorstop. So Why should it metaphorically be mean? dismissive? Because it's not just a doorstop, Emily. It's got a hole in it and it's
2: been painted red. So, I mean, there's I, there's too many layers of meaning really to unpick. That, also, you know. If we put it into quotation marks, is it really a doorstop? Also, will doorstop? it keep my door open?
1: I'm just not sure.
2: It will keep your chair at winky angle. I think. I don't. I don't think that should be your first priority, really, with a doorstop.
1: I mean, if I go to IKEA and I see doorstops, they better—they better. They better have this to is keep literally my the haze of when you've been walking around IKEA for an hour and a half, and you've already had something to eat, and then you actually finally get to the point where you can put things in your trolley, and you don't really know what you want anymore, and you just start picking things up, and they've all got those fun names. You're drunk on meatballs, like Nora Brod, and you're like, "Yes, great. Need one of these. Need one of those." And you get home, and you've got half a lamp. Why do I have 700 tea lights? A firm that you thought was real, but is in fact plastic.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is so pretentious, guys. I mean, when we think about, when I think about Ikea, I think about um, domestics that like look like they could really end a marriage, you know, first of all, losing children and functionality at an affordable price. I do not think about, you know, metaphorically meaning something or like finding design statements from award-winning fashion designers, but it's. I don't know. Do you think people will actually shop this or will these be the the kind of weird overflowing bins that you just give a wide berth when you're trying to get to the to the bedding department?
2: I think you're sort of average IKEA shopper. If there is an average Ikea shopper.
0: Everyone is the average Ikea shopper.
2: Maybe would be bemused. But it was interesting in the video, you know, they were talking very specifically about how these objects are going to transform the lives of the millennials who will shop them. Um, And I would like to reiterate at this point something that really irks me a lot when people talk about millennials just so constantly. A lot of millennials are, like, in their 30s. They don't need a pretentious doorstop. They need, like you know, cots for their children. But everyone thinks a millennial is just sort of like a cool 20-something who, like, would put a trainer as their coffee table, maybe. I don't know. I think
1: think the millennials that Virgil is talking about, and, you know, he's New York-based, and actually this interview was uh, done in New York, and he said that was kind of important to contextualise the collection. I think his New York millennials are perhaps living in kind of shared loft spaces and um, working on projects Mm. that had quotation marks around it. Yeah, You couldn't see me see me do them but i think they're all they're all freelance creatives exactly they're not millennials in the way that actually all three of us in this room are technically millennials Mm. um we do need doorstops, but i think we've probably got a lot of other things at the top of our list but
0: also a lot of people i know i mean we we all shop at ikea you know there's no point pretending that we don't but a lot of people i know do so sheepishly at this point and and there's almost been a shift from yep, just get another Billy bookcase to actually do we really need something new that's like process particle board or can we go to, as we talked about last week, can we go to a car boot sale and and maybe find something that's the same price but was perhaps more
1: solidly made and and give it a second life. Although didn't the Duchess of Cambridge, didn't she reveal that Prince George and Princess Charlotte have kind of Ikea furniture in their bedrooms?
2: Yeah, which could have been the moment that Ikea thought, right, we need to ring up the coolest man in the world <laughs> to re us right now. It's very relatable. But by, by re
0: do you mean elevate anonymous designs to the status of artistic objects because that's what they're trying to do. Mm. Yes, sorry, Mm -hmm. Emily, that
2: was Mm -hmm. what I meant to say. Get it right, Bethan, come on. Yeah, took (laughs) the words out of my mouth.
0: (laughs) But interestingly, uh, one of the things that they said in this broadcast was that the prices would be in line with IKEA pricing. So, you know, if you've got a little wedge of red plastic for a doorstop, it'll probably be one or two pounds, right?
2: Yeah, and let's not forget, this is, um, quote, not cool for cool's sake, end quote. It's cool for Ikea's sake. Someone's sake. Not cool's sake. But
0: I I wonder, like, is this going to be a collection? Is this like Ikea's equivalent of Versace for H&M where, you know, everyone, where people queue outside, go in and fill those shopping bags with these, like, doorstop interrupters and then resell them on Grailed for, like, £20 a piece? I'm not sure
1: if it might not be a bit more like when Julian McDonald does, you know, Washing powder, or Henry Holland does yogurt, or I get them confused. But there, <laughs> there have been a, a fair few kind of odd designer collaborations that have not seemed to elevate. You know, I don't see anybody going for a muller yogurt and thinking oh, this is approved by the fashion industry.
2: I think this this will be a good barometer of just how cool Virgil is, though, because if he can drag a bunch of millennial IKEA rejectors to an IKEA store and get them in there, or shopping it, or putting that in their home, then that's very powerful, isn't it? So we'll Especially
0: see. if it's to buy useless, like non-functional items.
1: I doubt these people have cars. That's the thing. All I don't have a car. No, no. This is this is madness. You can get apparently. an Uber there, though. I zip car to Ikea, yeah. personally.
0: In other news, Katy Perry and Orlando Bloom met the Pope. I'm still not really clear on why. I think it had something to do with Katie speaking at an international conference about a cure for cancer. But her outfit, she wore a puff-shouldered, long sleeve midi dress and a black cloche hat with a small net veil. Meaning that this may be the most conservatively dressed we've ever seen Katy Perry. I mean, in, in the history of Katy Perry. And I can't be the only one who thought that her look brought to mind Melania Trump at the Vatican last year.
2: During her visit to the Vatican, Melania wore a black, long-sleeved Dolce & Gabbana dress and a veil. There's a reason they both opted for black. It turns out that traditionally, women meeting the Pope are supposed to wear black with full-length sleeves and mantilla veils. Is this the strictest dress code in the world? Kind of seems like it. I mean, you almost want
0: to be told what to wear to meet the Pope, given that he represents an institution that... Um, doesn't have the best track record with women. I think
1: those two do kind of sum up, though, the the degrees of success that you can have when you're trying to meet a strict dress code. Because I think Melania, you know, she went very Italian. She went kind of grieving Italian matriarch in this proper lace and really structured black dress. It was very Dolce & Gabbana, classically. It was like, how do you solve a problem like Melania? Exactly, whereas Katy Perry kind of looked like she was in a Halloween costume. She had like a flouncy shoulder, the hat was very small, silly little veil. I mean, it's not covering your face, so why are you wearing a veil? Um, and also frosted lipstick. Should you be allowed to wear frosted lipstick on hallowed ground? I would say no. I don't know if the Pope's ever actually thought about that. I think there's, there's actually a treatise on it. They should yeah. add it in. There was yeah. a lot of lashes.
0: The 11th commandment. commandment. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I do I do, I do find, um, you know, this is another avenue of my like weird fashion geekery. I do love all the weird rules around meeting the Pope and what one can or cannot wear to meet the Pope. So there is this thing called um, le privilège du blanc, which um, I think is only given to six women in the world. It's if you're a Catholic queen, you are allowed to wear white when you meet the Pope. Everyone else, every other woman has to wear black. Um, So I think women like Queen Letizia of Spain, Princess Charlene of Monaco, because they're Catholic queens, they can wear white, um, and we've seen that done before. And there was a bit of a hoo-ha last year when um, Camilla met the Pope and she wasn't wearing black, but apparently that's because he's tried to relax the dress code recently and isn't so bothered about whether women wear black or white to meet him, but...
0: That almost makes it harder I mean people really people take comfort in dress codes don't they like sometimes you just want to know that you're going to be dressed appropriately and not get any strange looks and you know not be the one in not be the one in a red dress on an all black like time's up red carpet unless you want to be the
2: one in a red dress. Well exactly. It's happened. It, It kind of lets that happen doesn't it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I suppose maybe if you're Melania Trump or Katy Perry, maybe you don't get as excited about these kinds of dress codes, but they all adhere to them. You know, Katy Perry is like one of the most experimental dresses in the world, and there she is in her neat black get-up.
0: It really, but it looked more like a costume than her stuff with whirling nipples and,
1: you know, fireworks coming out of the butt. It was kind of almost um, mid-century air hostess, I thought. (laughs) I'm sure, that was on her mage <laughs> no, It was
0: I, it also Lou Roll cover. It was with like the t- <laughs> something
1: from a music video. I just, I get that it can be kind of difficult to tick, to tick all the boxes with the strict dress code. And certainly for kind of real women, it's a nightmare trying to kind of shop around that and, and not spend a ton of money on something you're only going to wear once. This is Katy Perry. I think she probably had lots of offers to borrow something, if not bottomless pockets to buy something. And I just think it was a bit naff. And she also put up an Instagram kind of video of her in the car with Orlando Bloom kind of
2: in the outfits. I don't know. It was all a bit odd. It's become a social media moment to be ticked off. I mean, that meeting of the Trump women and Trump and the Pope last year, I mean, that launched a thousand memes, didn't it? It did. It really did. I mean, I think the world just likes seeing Melania in mourning.
0: Of course there are plenty of other contexts for dress codes ascot which charlie uh, so expertly dissected for us last week weddings etc so what do you think are dress codes helpful or a hindrance tell us in an email to unzipped
1: at telegraph.co.uk and visit telegraph.co.uk forward slash fashion for more news and perspectives from the week in style did your mother teach you how to iron a collar
0: never to leave home without matching your handbag to your shoes Mine certainly didn't, but every time I read a story about how deeply a stylish matriarch shaped a given women's worldview, I do think about the slightly off-kilter fashion messages I learned from the women in my family. And that's the theme of our main fashion feature in the Wednesday paper. It's style advice to live by. So Charlie, tell us the lessons that you learned from your mum.
1: My mum, I think most people kind of say that their mothers teach them, you know, the... the value of a great investment or a timeless piece or, you know, you'll wear that again and again. My mom is very much an eclectic dresser. She's very much a kind of falls in love with something when she's out shopping and then wears it to death and that is me down to a T. Actually, I was kind of thinking back and and trying to remember kind of what shaped my childhood and it's my mum's bonkers clothes. You know, she'd have a jewelled bustier one minute and, or she'd do a really kind of boxy men's trouser suit. Um, when she was a teenager, or kind of early teens, she went to a kind of convent or girls' school. So she came home and she would take off her uniform and put on this um, bed sheet that she turned into a muumu and dyed pink. And she would wrap kind of raffia daisies around her ankles and walk, walk around barefoot. So that's why you will not find me kind of investing in classic navy blazers or Chanel 2.55s, and you will instead find me kind of drowning in vintage earrings and yellow shoes. I love that. I love it, though. I mean, it's good to be a magpie, right? What about you, Emily? Well, I I guess I had very mixed
0: messages. Um, My mother, in a lot of ways, I think—I hope she wouldn't mind me saying this. My mother is, in many ways, a reaction to her mother— so my grandma dwelled in a world made of sequins. I mean, her closet was a cave of bling. She wore fur coats and, you know, rhinestone sunglasses. And um, she and my grandpa for a while in the, in the 70s drove a Thunderbird that on, on the driver's side door it said Big Daddy, and on the passenger side it said Sweet Mama. Um, you know, Amazing. subtlety was not by any means like the watchword of, of their aesthetic, um, whereas my mom, still has polo shirts, like plain white polo shirts that she's had since 1983. And she'll still wear them, and they're perfectly fine. She takes care of her clothes, but they're they're simple, they're utilitarian, doesn't wear makeup, doesn't have pierced ears. So it was sort of weird messaging growing up because on the one hand, I had my mom saying, Emily, why are you obsessing about what to wear? And on the other hand, I had my grandma putting makeup and feather boas on me at age five to put on like talent shows <laughs> in her living room. So I guess from my mom, I learned be less vain, like really focus more on the content of what you have to say and, and your actions, and that will rise to the top of everything. And from my grandma, I got enjoy clothes, enjoy fashion, don't apologize about it. It's really, it's okay to be seen to be enjoying your appearance and the way that you put things together. But then actually for this story, I ended up also remembering another woman in my family who um, taught me something about fashion, which was my Aunt Sherry. And one summer when I was interning at her office, she sent me out with her credit card at lunchtime and she said, go down to this store. They've got a suit on hold for me. Buy it. Just have them throw it into the bag. You know, you've got to be back at work soon. Hurry up. And I went to the store and I was shocked that she wanted me to buy this 500-pound suit without having even tried it on. She just knew her size, knew that she wanted it, had called and put it on hold. And I was even more shocked that she didn't want me to wait for them to, you know, lovingly wrap it in tissue paper and put it in a garment bag or whatever they would have done. She just wanted them to sling it to the bottom of a shopping bag. And from that, I learned like clothes are for wearing. You don't save them for best. You just wear them and get as much satisfaction and enjoyment out of them as you can while, of course, being less vain. (laughs) It's an easy
2: balance. It's one I I attempt to strike on a daily basis, (laughs) at least. But then what about you? Oh, my gosh. Well... Yeah, I think in a way my, my story is maybe a similar vibe to yours, Emily, in that, I mean, my mum loves clothes and my mum has inordinate amounts of clothes, but she's she very much, she sort of likes what she likes and if she finds a brand or something that works for her, then, then she's going to stick with that. So I guess that, that is quite a good lesson. But, I mean, if she ever had any hope, of kind of dressing me in a certain way that she wanted to from when I was little. I mean, I think I was choosing my own clothes from, like, my first birthday, you know, onwards. I just was having none of it. And I do have... The, I have this memory of... um turning up at the hospital after my brother was born when I was two and my mum just being like oh my god what are you wearing because obviously my dad had just let me pick my outfit because he'd just given in to me and I was wearing like a yellow blouse and a pink skirt and red shoes and it was total clash and I think my mum had this idea of like me looking a perfect certain way and yeah I was never going to be like a princess Charlotte. I love that that was her kind of first thought in this kind of
1: Drug induced.
2: Yeah. Haze. Yeah. She'd just been like in labor for three days, had a cesarean. She was just like, What and then have she's you done? Like, Beth they're not pink and yellow again. <laughs> and I'm like, Yeah, that's me. Probably had five handbags on me as well. Yeah. And I always resented her for like not letting me get my ears pierced or not letting me have um, healed jelly shoes. Did anyone else have this oh, yeah. fight with their parents? Not being able to tap into the craze for healed jelly shoes when I was five was a major cause of concern for me. Um, So I'm sure there were lessons for both me and my mum from those struggles, but I do just adore the, um, the attitude of my grandma. My grandma was a hairdresser and one particular story that she always tells me, which I just adore, is how she was going to this sort of work dinner for my grandfather's work, and she decided, you know, she was going to pull out all the stops, she was going to be the most stylish woman at this dinner. So she thought that she would... um, Her favourite colour is sort of turquoise, so she decided to dye a dress and shoes and bag turquoise. She did that, it was all good, but then she was like, you know, there's something missing from this look. I'm going to dye my hair turquoise as well. Um, So the afternoon (laughs) of the dinner, uh, (laughs) she went to her hairdresser friends and um they I mean my grandma's got quite dark hair they bleached her hair and dyed it turquoise I think she was a couple of hours late for the dinner didn't go down well that is such commitment um, but um but she did it you know she she decided that was the look she was going to go for and and she absolutely went for it so I have huge admiration for that. real Love commitment. That. <laughs> yeah, what commitment I mean I do
0: think like it's such a trope isn't it the idea of like the Vogue essay where a woman writes about her like remembering the ritual of seeing her mother put on her pearl earrings before dinner every night and how that that told her so much about consistency and you know yeah, but th- there are also some style lessons that we have to unlearn, like like deeply ingrained thinking about clothes that you have to reverse, like I remember um having to kind of overcome a prejudice against dry, clean, only clothing, yeah. Once I was in a posi- position to buy a lot of my own clothes and, and I, you know, kept getting frustrated. I was like, what would mom say? Or you know, if I can't just throw it in the washing machine. I'm not going to spend all that money on it. But of course, most of my wardrobe now is dry clean only fabric.
2: Maybe this is a, um, a problem particular to fashion editors because I was thinking my, my version of this is my grandma was always extremely thrifty she made most of her own clothes you know she now loves going to tk maxx she would probably frown upon spending a lot of money on something but um I, I quite like the occasional investment buy
0: i do think it's better when you call it an investment <laughs> buy. yeah i
2: was just thinking it's <laughs> <laughs> splurging loads of money <laughs> pointlessly well <But. laughs> as much as i um you know my mother's kind of
1: buy and wear what you love mantra has kind of gotten me through life The approach to um, just do what you like with your body was maybe a bit much. So (laughs) I started dyeing my own hair, uh, you know, with my parents' blessings. Um, Age, I think I was 11 or 12, and I started dyeing it red in the bathtub. That was not a great moment for me. And then age kind of 14 or 15, blue-black, which actually, I'm very fair... I saw a picture of this last night, and I've got to say you made it work. I mean, thank you, Emily. You could also see, I think, my belly button ring in that picture. (laughs) Um, (laughs) There were quite a few missteps along the way, but I I do think at least we're all afforded that freedom to kind of find our own personal styles and experiment. But I am very kind of attached to my hairdresser now. My grandma
0: and I used to have a game where we would go to the mall, and we would go to the most... Like the, the fanciest store, there was a store called Lily Rubin, you know, which like, was all of these occasion dresses with like diamante all over the place, and she would invent an occasion. She would say. We have a we have a garden party, and I need a dress for I need a dress for my granddaughter. Or we're going on a cruise, and we've been invited to sit on the captain's table. We need a black tie dress for this eleven year old. Oh my god! And we would spend a wonderful hour or two, you know, taking up these poor shop assistants' time, just trying on everything that we wanted, plus hats. Uh, so it was, you know, it was definitely a lot. It, it was it was an important part of our relationship, I think, and I'm
2: I'm pleased to have that. I think that's what's special about, you know, whether it's a style lesson that you apply to what you physically wear and how you dress now. It's also the ability of clothes to to bring you together, to be something that that unites you, that you talk about, that you bond over. You know, I think that's that's really special, especially between generations as well.
0: Yeah, I have this with my daughter now, where I, every morning I have to decide, am I going to battle her on wanting to wear four headbands and a tutu with wellies, or, you know.
2: But why should she? Or just she? go with it.
0: <laughs> or,
1: well, because it's, it's, you know, five degrees out. Well, like. yeah, <laughs> But um, But I think the memories are really, you know, the, the fact that we all enjoyed this piece so much because we were all kind of going down memory lane and remembering these experiences with our mothers and grandmothers and aunts. And, you know, with my mum when I was a kid, was a stand-up comic. And she had a drama school um, and she had this kind of huge costume box that she would let me dip into. And actually, you know, when she would do um, TV appearances, we got to go along to this costume archive. And my sister and I would be allowed, you know, age like four and seven to plan fancy dress costumes from this.
2: Wow. That
1: like, TV costume <laughs> archive. And it was just amazing. And I think it probably did begin my kind of love of fashion because actually you can't. Work in fashion and only love classics and only love, you know, really appropriate, really timeless pieces because, you know, we we would never have anything to write about. If you'd
0: like to know more about what we learned from our mothers, then pick up the paper or visit telegraph.co.uk slash fashion. And please do tell us what your mothers, grandmothers, aunts, sisters, godmothers, etc. taught you about style Or send feedback on the episode or any fashion questions to unzipped at telegraph.co.uk. We've nearly reached the end of the episode. Next week, we'll discuss the Met Gala, aka the first Monday in May, aka Fashion's Oscar Night, when fashion VIPs come together to celebrate the opening of the new Costume Institute exhibition at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Whatever you want to call it, it's the biggest night of the year for fashion, and we'll have a breakdown of the best looks, the night's biggest stories and of course, analysis of what it all means. So a little homework for all of our listeners. I mentioned the first Monday in May. It's because that's always the date of the Costume Institute Gala. It is also the title of a fascinating documentary about the 2015 Met Gala, AKA the one where Rihanna showed up in Guo Pei's omelet cape. With the Met Gala in mind, instead of sharing what we're excited about this week, I thought we'd ask, what's your favorite Met Gala moment from the past, Bethan?
2: Um, we were just discussing this before we we went on air, and I was like, I've got a really unexpected one. And then Charlie guessed it immediately. Got it in wine.
1: Well, Bethan's specialist subject uh, yeah. happens to overlap with just one Met Gala moment. So, Bethan, go on. What's your what's your very unexpected favourite Met Gala moment? Well,
2: you'd never have guessed, but it's the time that Princess Diana went to the Met Gala wearing a beautiful navy silk Christiane Dior slip dress. Design yeah and it was um one of John Galliano's first designs for Dior celebrating the Dior exhibition that was that was happening at the Met Museum and um you know I mean obviously I love the Kim Kardashians I love the Beyonce's you know of the modern Met Gala era I mean I just cannot talk enough about Kim Kardashian in that Givenchy rose print dress when she was pregnant but I mean that just has to be an original for me. But what I love about the
0: Diana slip dress moment was that she she wore it in such a prissy way, yeah. like it's, it was effectively lingerie, right? Yeah, and she wore it with a with a pearl and sapphire choker that I think was was a companion to her engagement ring.
2: Yeah, I mean she was wearing like the crown jewels with a piece by you know the most rebellious designer or one of the most rebellious designers of his time. This was a princess who, at once, was going to be the queen of England at some point, and she's there in a in a nighty out and about in New York,
0: and she was on theme because the, it was the gala was celebrating the opening of the Dior exhibition. Exactly. So well paid, Diana.
2: Yeah,
1: Emily, what's yours?
0: I've got a couple. I mean, it, it's quite obvious, but Beyonce arriving half an hour after everyone else. She was the last person up the red carpet at the twenty fifteen awards, and she showed up in this Givenchy dress, gown that has become known and will forevermore be known as the naked dress, a piece of netting with some strategically placed embellishments and jewels. And she had a high Barbie ponytail and she posed the hell out of those red carpet steps. um, And I loved her for it. But actually, I think my favorite, my favorite ever moment um, from the Met Gala is a little more obscure. It was from the year that the exhibition had a superhero theme. It was 2008. And it was Christina Ricci, also in Givenchy by Riccardo Tisci Haute Couture. Um, and it was this Wonder Woman-inspired, like, red satin bodysuit under pink tissue paper tulle. She just looked like the fiercest bride imaginable.
1: It was kind of pulled down off the shoulders, mm-hmm. right?
0: Oh. I'll, I'll make sure that I include a picture in the
1: roundup nice. on, on the site, but... Um, yeah, that was a look to beat for sure. Mine is equally obscure, um, but no less fabulous. So, two thousand and four, the theme was dangerous liaisons, and Amber Valletta came as Marie Antoinette.
2: Oh, amazing! I need yeah. say
1: no more. Yeah, there was a powdered wig. Yeah, there was a there was a powdered wig. She kind of a Mozart wig. It will perhaps conjure Perfect. up exactly what this looked like, and she's in this amazing kind of corseted gown, and she looks. Absolutely fantastic. And I think in later years, some people have played a little fast and loose with the themes and it has become a bit of an opportunity for, you know, after Beyoncé wore that naked dress, naked dresses became a thing. And it was just who can wear the fewest crystals on their mesh bodysuit while still preserving kind of some semblance of modesty. And some of the themes you're just like, How how have you come as a nod to that in that kind of black slip that, dress. That was
2: what was actually great about when Rihanna came in the in the omelette gown because it was actually by a Chinese couture designer. You know, everyone else had kind of maybe was wearing a bit of an orchid or a bit of red yeah. you know or a dragon headdress sarah <laughs> jessica parker to say, oh my gosh oh. actually there, there's a whole subsection for sarah jessica parker's headwear really isn't it she, donna's she really
0: yeah. works at her met gala looks i think for like a year in advance yeah.
1: yeah yeah at least rihanna honored the theme exactly at least you could look at it and be like oh of course that was that year yeah um that was china through the looking glass there will be much more
0: along these lines next week. So thank you for joining us. And do come back next week for another episode of Fashion Unzipped.
2: I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Leah alec Murray.
0: And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll
1: Presents The Anime Effect.